I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops, my locks with the drops of the night. And then she speaks. I've put off my garment. How could I put it on? I'd bathe my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers dripped with liquid myrrh on the handles of the boat bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen on the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I'm sick with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? And then the bride. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold, his locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are like lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns, set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he's altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my, my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And then her friends chirp up. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? And then the famous verses, um, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 6. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my, beloved's is my, my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Well, it's quite something... Um to sing that, Lord, I give you my heart, I give my soul, have your way in me. Um, I find it hard to sing that sometimes and maintain integrity, eh? Uh, and so it's just to have a moment uh, before we open up the word for you to and me to be quiet before God and to offer this time to him that, that he would have his way in us and, and speak to our hearts and uh, do whatever he wants to do in our lives today. So let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, we quieten our hearts before you. And we do want to be in that place where we give you our hearts, give you our souls. And Lord, that you would have your way in our lives, in our relationships, in this church family. And we ask that as we leave here later on today that we would be a people who are closer to you, delighting in you, and filled by your Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen. Amen. I'm told it's a squeaky part of the floor here, so I'm not quite sure what the squeaky part is, but I think I'm off it now. Um, David's been taking you through um, the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon's. Uh, Solomon, and he's asked me to uh, pick up in this part of the text, and I think it'll be... Uh, 
more coming on later on. So I just want to begin by showing you a little clip, and I hope that it will um, bless you in some sort of way. Got something out of that. Um, a lot of what we're going to look at is, uh, I think, important is about communication and how we communicate and how we uh, listen to each other. Um, even when things seem as obvious as a nail on the head, sometimes we need to be a bit more delicate in how we approach issues and talk to one another. And so um, marriage can be difficult at times. We're going to be looking at marriage um, and we'll be looking at the importance of listening and the importance of communication. And so by way of intro, um, it looks like uh, David's taking you so far, and it looks now that the couple in the text are now married, the, the wedding day has passed, and I don't know what the time frame is, the time frame seems unclear, uh, and it's worth saying right from get-go that, that marriage is a covenant that's initiated in the heart of God, not in the heart of men and women. And so if we move away from God's concept of marriage, um, then we're, we're probably going to end up in a, a rough road and things might even break up uh, or the covenant might even be defiled. But if we hold close to God's concept of marriage that we find that's written in our Bibles, then that invites success. Who wouldn't want to invite success into their marriage? That invites success and blessing into our marriages, even if we have to negotiate hard times and difficulties and confusing issues, and sometimes we're just not certain. When we stay close to God's word and God's understanding of the covenant marriage, then we're putting out an invitation, Lord, bless this marriage, bless my life. And so I want to talk to us a little bit about Twilight Zone. Um, the Shulamite woman says, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved knocking. And so the woman in the text is possibly having another dream, or, or was she slightly awake? Does it really matter? Well, well not really uh, for this morning's instance as we seek to hear a Rima word from God. We could look at this passage several times and, and come up with different things. Um, I was very interested and wanted to go down the road of uh, the, the watchmen. Why were the watchmen beating up uh, the Shulamite woman when previously they were caring for her? And so that was something 
in the flesh I wanted to look at, but I don't think God has for that for us this morning. And so we can progress, and let's say that the Shulamite woman was in a twilight zone. She was half asleep, and she was half awake. Um, she was in a borderline dream world. You know that kind of way where you're not sure if you're awake or asleep? See, see a few maybe feel that way right now. You're kind of borderline, not fully alert to what's going on. And there can be all sorts of reasons why we're not fully alert or switched on to what's going on around us. Depression can have that impact on us. Or maybe a wrong focus, where our focus is in the wrong place, or, or pain in our lives, or maybe information overload. We're just seeing so much going on in the world around us, and there's this information overload, and we can't stay focused. Stress, or maybe just a lazy mind. Anyone got a lazy mind? <laughs> One or two might think that. Demonic attack can happen to that. Prayerlessness. Limited time of the word, act of sin, fatigue, the list can go on and on and on while we might feel a bit detached. And so I want to say as an aside this morning before we get into it, if I can get that coming up. If you find that you're often, this is maybe just for one or two, you're often in a kind of twilight zone, you're not fully alert to the things of God. You find that you're not really all the time fully alert to what the Holy Spirit's doing or, or moving in the Spirit Perhaps the only point for you this morning is to dig down and ask God to show you what's the, the root cause of this spiritual buffer. What, what's causing this in my life? And what's the answer to that? And how do I resolve it? And maybe just for one or two this morning, that you don't even really need to listen to what's coming next. That's the only thing uh, to deal with. To, to talk with God about, to set some time aside this week, maybe with a journal, with your Bible. And Lord, there's, there's kind of a buffer. I seem to be in some sort of twilight zone. I don't seem to be really hearing your spirit or, or able to move forward. Some things seem confusing to me. And maybe the only thing for you to take away today is that, Lord, I need to spend time with you to get to the root of this buffer and to find the answer and to move forward with you. Well, let's get back to the, the man and the woman. In our text, I'm not sure if I'm working this right, so here we go. We're going to look at making advances. Verse 2 of our text, the beloved is knocking. He's making uh, what would seem to be sexual advances to his wife. That's perfectly normal and healthy. And he's knocking on the door, but she's not for opening the door. He says, open to me, my sister, my beloved, my dove, my perfect one. And... In making his, his advances, um, I'm not sure, did that just change? In making his advances, the beloved's bringing clarity to what he desires. And, and clarity is pretty important here. He says, open to me. Well, that seems pretty obvious. He's, he's knocking on the door, and he wants to come in and, and be intimate with his wife. He's making that very clear. Then he uses words of affirmation. He says, my sister. Now, that seems a really strange thing. Any husbands, have you ever called your wife your sister? Maybe when you're not focusing. <laughs> that seems a very strange thing to me to say, you know, call his wife his sister. But it's not so strange in the customs of those Bible times. To call your wife, your spouse, your sister was a title of permanence. It's a title of faithfulness. It's a title of longevity. 
because a sister is always a sister no matter what you go through in life. She stays your sister. Just as a bride is supposed to be always a bride no matter what we go through in life. And so that, that kind of idea, he, he's making it clear. Um, he's, he's speaking words of affirmation to his wife, that you're always going to be my wife. No matter what we go through, there's that longevity. I'm always going to be faithful. And then he says, well, my beloved, my dove, my perfect one. And they're all uh, equally terms of endearment and love and affirmation that he speaks to her. And so husbands, I'm just speaking to any husbands this morning or, or would-be husbands uh, in the future, do you still romance your wife? You're a little uncomfortable with this sort of talk. <laughs> We've been married for years. Of course, I know how to Do we still actually romance our wives? Do we speak regularly? I don't mean last week or last month or last year. Do we speak regularly words of affirmation that convey your permanence? and faithfulness to her, that she knows deep down, not just by actions, but by words as well? Do you speak assurances of affection and love and admiration to your wife? You see, actions are important, and sometimes as men, we like to do the actions. And oh, my wife has this love language, and I have that love language. We all have different love languages. We understand that. But nonetheless, words of affirmation, husbands to our wives, are important. And maybe that's just a little takeaway um, for one or two husbands this morning to, to think about speaking words of affirmation. Well, when we read on through the text, it doesn't seem to imply that even though his wife at this stage doesn't want to engage with him um, or, or respond to him or let him in, that the husband rolled away and walked off really grumpy or bitter the, the, the text doesn't seem to imply that. All we know in verse 6 is that he's gone for now. And then in chapter 6, verse 4, he, he launches back into more affirmation and praise for his wife. And I think David will be taking us into that. And so his response isn't to be irritable. Um, his response is to continue in, in love and affirmation. And he continues to do that, as you'll see, uh, maybe next week or the week after, how he affirms his wife. And so, some takeaways for husbands and wives this morning for this part. When it comes to sexual desire or any other desire that we have in our marriages, simple thing is, speak with clarity. Sometimes we, we get things all confused and we, or we don't make it clear. Just speak with clarity. Say what it is. Take time to be open and honest about the hopes and disappointments on the sexual side of your relationship. That seems, you know, back to school stuff. But sometimes we forget just to be open and honest, find a space, find a time to speak about any disappointments. Then regularly find ways to affirm each other and convey your love to one another. Make time for that. Don't take for granted that your spouse knows you love her or him. Of course they do but we need to take time to affirm that and speak it out and express it. And then, as I said earlier on, remember, marriage is a covenant. It's not just about feelings. If I went by my feelings, um, I could be anywhere today, maybe out fishing or rowing, I don't know what, but we don't go by our feelings. And we need to remember that marriage is a covenant. And so, in 30 
or so years of, of being a pastor and in New Zealand most of the time, um, I've had my fair share of taking people through marriage ministry and, and different courses and, and, and counseling and so on. And this is one of the tips I've given quite often, and I give to myself as well. Um, when you're not feeling it, so I don't want a show of hands because your, your husband or wife's not going to be too happy if you put your hand up. <laughs> but when you're just not feeling it in your life with your husband or wife, why not take some time out? They don't need to know about it. Take some time out to sit down with a photo of your spouse, a photograph of your husband or wife. It might be when you got married, your wedding day. It might be on one of your favorite holidays. It could be something that's more recent. Take a photo out and sit down somewhere quiet and write down. As we're writing, it helps us process our minds, our souls, our spirits get engaged. Write down 10 things that you like about your spouse. Dare you, no matter how hot your marriage is at the moment, still do it. 10 things that you like or love about your spouse, husband or wife. And then, with those ten things, talk to God about those things. Give thanks to God about those things. And then, later on, at an appropriate time, sit down with your wife and tell her those things. Sit down with your husband and tell him those things. Or, if you're that way inclined, maybe you'd want to write a card. And you, some of you think, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, I just dare you. I dare you to try it, because not only will it bless your spouse, do you know what it'll do? It'll bless your heart, even if you're not feeling it. And our hearts begin to move closer and closer, or maybe they've drifted away. And then the final thing in there is don't take offense. Uh, I think we all can take offense in different ways. 1 Peter 4.8, if you're taking notes, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. You heard about grumpy and all the grumpy jokes? You know those ones? I wake up grumpy every morning by poking him in the ribs. You know, that? <laughs> you know, you know those, those sort of ones? Uh, well, when it comes to love and sex in our relationships, and it doesn't happen when you want it to happen, when we want it to happen, or how we want it to happen, reject the path. So this is a take-home takeaway. Reject the path of irritability or being annoyed, or grumpy, and choose the path of affirmation and love. And if it's an ongoing issue, then choose a warm and right moment to, to talk to one another about each other's needs. Light a candle, have a meal, and set the stage for a moment to lovingly talk to one another. Some couples I've ministered to over the years They've never even broached the subject, never even talked about it, too embarrassed or too whatever, or just not inclined to. I encourage you to do it. So some takeaways. And so we have the advancing or the advancements. We also have avoidance um, coming on. So the woman says, I've taken off my tunic. Must I put it on? I've bathed my feet. Must I soil them? And so Mr. Husband is knocking on the proverbial door. Uh, he's making his amorous advances. And the woman's response here is avoidance. She comes up with some excuses. Uh, this time, at least, she couldn't be bothered. It just seems like too much effort. Maybe it's too inconvenient for her. You know, this is an inconvenient time. I'm not in the mood or whatever it might be. Uh, 
It wasn't that she wasn't able, because we read on in verse 5 that then she changed her mind and got up and opened the door. And so her initial response was kind of a, a selfish, if you like, or self-focused response, rejecting her husband's advances. Um, there seemed to be a certain amount of reluctance going on there. And we're not given a reason. I was wondering what the reason would be. We're not given a really credible reason. I wonder if we were to uh, pass around some paper, we won't do it, but we just sort of come up with what are the best, what are the top ten one-liners of how to say no to your spouse's sexual advances? What are the top ten that we, you know, th th these, these are good ones. I wonder if we said, I've taken off my dress and washed my feet. I don't think that would get onto the list, would it? <laughs> and yet that's the excuse um, that, that she gives. It wouldn't stand up to much scrutiny. Well, let's dip into uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 7. Sorry, 7, 3 to 5. This text is so often abused and taken out of context, so we need to have this scripture in context. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer and afterward you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And there's a whole sermon series in there. Um, but there's this idea of belonging to each other. And you can take that from different aspects. The husband's body belongs to the wife. And then the wife can say to her husband, don't use your body in that way towards me at the moment. I don't want to be with you in that way. And vice versa. But it's about love. It's about acceptance. We belong. We picked this up later on in the text. We belong um, to each other. And so unhealthy avoidance is usually born out of selfish motives. It can't be bothered. It's a, an ongoing pattern of, of depriving the husband or wife from sexual relations for a selfish reason. But in a healthy marriage, and I've asked you to put that up your hands, who's got a healthy marriage? I hope lots of hands are going to go up, but I'm not going to ask that. In, in a healthy marriage uh, with good communication, often there are good incredible and really sound reasons why a husband or wife might say, well, I just can't right now, or uh, not now, please. What could it be? Well, things like fatigue, eh? Or health reasons, or sadness going on in your life, or maybe feeling emotionally distant from your, from your spouse, or, or Past hurts. And there could be all sorts of other reasons. There are all sorts of other reasons. Good reasons, understandable reasons. But to avoid your partner feeling rejected, to avoid your partner feeling unloved, communicate why. That's often the breakdown of communication. Communicate why and express words of affirmation and love. Communication is so important. And that can bring great healing. And, and so there's avoidance, but there's also acceptance. 
If you haven't already, and I don't want to guess, but if you haven't already, sooner or later, you're going to misread the situation or behave a bit selfishly when it comes to intimacy in marriage, eh? I mean, we all, I think that's probably, we'll all agree we've stuffed up there now and again. And like in any other sphere of life, when we stuff up again, get up again. I'll say it again. When we stuff up again, get up again. And so after her flaky excuses to her husband, you know, I've just taken off my dress and washed my feet. After, after that, um, we read in verse 5, uh, I arose ro- to open to my beloved and as you read on, you find that he, he wasn't there. And so in her dream, we think it's a dream, she searches for, her, for him. And then in verses 10 to 16 uh, that Richard read to us, she gushes out words of admiration that would make any husband beam and maybe even possibly blush. I mean, she really lays it on thick, <laughs> that the admiration that she speaks out about her husband And that kind of culminates with her words of acceptance in an Old Testament version of the verses in 1 Corinthians 7, 4 I read to you. And so you see see the the kind of uh, joining together here. Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse verse 4. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. That's kind of a New Testament version, sorry, an Old Testament version of what we read in 1 Corinthians I belong to you in a loving and caring covenant, and you belong to me in a loving, caring covenant. It's a safe place. It ought to be a safe place where we can talk about anything. Um, we, we can choose to make a covenant with our spouse, and that brings hope. But if we keep a covenant with our spouse, that brings security and joy and openness and blessedness. So we can say about I'll make a covenant, but hope can be robbed. But when we keep a covenant, does that joy and security and openness and sharing. You belong to me and I belong to you. We belong to each other. And there's that safe place within the covenant. And so wives, very humbly, speaking to wives this morning, or would be wise in the future, They may not intimate it. We may not intimate it. Men may not say it. But words of admiration, words of acceptance, words of honor, words of respect are important to husbands. You may think they know it, that you think that of them. They they may be, say, well, that's not my love language. I don't need words. But nonetheless, words have the power to kill or create life. Lack of words can create confusion and uncertainty. And so, wives, just a takeaway encouragement to to speak to your husbands. Oh, I said that three years ago. (laughs) Regularly. Imagine if God said to us 10 years ago, I love you and never said it again. We'd be struggling a bit, but every day he affirms his love to us. Every week we come and sing about his love to us. So I encourage you wives to, to think about that. The same way as encouraging men to think, maybe 
go off with a photograph of your husband. Maybe write down some things that you admire about him, that you respect about him, and in some way convey that. Well, we're going to wrap it up, and uh, I just want to finish by asking that question, uh, who's that knocking at our door? When I say our door, I'm thinking about the, our, the, mar the marriage door, but it can also speak to you as an individual if you're not married or you're widowed or whatever. Who's that knocking at our door? You know, sometimes the church is being just too embarrassed, I think David touched on this, to look at the Song of Songs in a literal way, and so have opted to um, look at this part of the Bible purely in an allegorical way. Well, David's been looking at it, and I've been looking at you this morning in a literal way. And so while we haven't aimed to apply the text allegorically, there will be nothing wrong with applying it illustratively if the text lends itself to that. And perhaps one of the most obvious parts of the Song of Songs that points itself illustratively is that of someone knocking at the door and waiting to be invited in. Do you know where I'm going with this? Hope you know where I'm going with this. They are, of course, um, the words of Jesus. As Jesus was speaking to the Christians of the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, the divine groom, we know that Jesus is spoken of as the groom in Scripture, and he's speaking to the church, his bride. So sometimes as men we have a bit of a problem with that, but the church is in Scripture is spoken to um, about as a bride. And, and he's saying... That the bride, that the church, or maybe marriage, is neither hot nor cold, it's lukewarm. And so we read these words. Jesus says, verse 20 of Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And this was to Christians. I know this is a great evangelistic scripture as well, but this is to the Christians. See, Jesus won't force his way into our marriages, and Jesus won't force his way into our lives. He'll only come, he'll only move when invited. He waits to be invited. And this morning, I believe that Jesus is knocking at the doors of some marriages nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to be excited about. He's knocking at the door of some marriages. You see, the marriage is a micro picture of the church that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, a whole new other series sometime maybe you want to look at. Um, but the marriage is a micro picture of the church. And Jesus is knocking at the door of some marriages. And I, I wonder couples and future couples, but especially those who are married this morning, I wonder will you let them in? I wonder together maybe as you go away and go home, will you sit down together? Jesus is here already. He's there already when you go home. And invite him in. Jesus, will you come in to my marriage? I know you're already in my marriage, in my heart, my life, but in this special way in responding to this morning, will you come into our marriage and will you speak with us? Will you talk with us? Will you, you share with us? Will you, you let us hear? And, and as we listen to you and talk to each other, will you do something in our lives? Maybe you've got a really hot marriage uh, and you feel you don't need to do this. Maybe you've got a cold marriage or maybe it's somewhere in between, kind of, if you're honest, kind of lukewarm. And Jesus is knocking 
and wants to come in. Come on in, Jesus. Minister, bring healing. Show us things that might be a nail in the head that we can't see, but that you see. And then finally, maybe you're sitting here and you think, well, that's all right for all you married lot, but I'm not married. Maybe you don't want to get married. Maybe you will be getting married. Or maybe you're in a situation where you've lost a loved one. Do you know what? Jesus is still knocking. He's knocking on the door of your life. And he wants to come in and talk with you and minister to you. And I don't know all the faces here this morning, but again, maybe you don't know Jesus. All this sort of stuff is kind of like, shh. You don't know Jesus, really. You've heard about him. You're interested, maybe. I just want to encourage you this morning to open the door and let Jesus come in. Let Jesus talk with you. Get together with some folk here you trust. You don't know me, but people you, you know here um, and ask them to help you take that step uh, to let Jesus into your life and rule your life. Is that good? Let me take it away. Maybe some homework for us to do. We're going to sing a song. Um, it's a Hillsong song. I surrender. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all. And part of that song says, Lord, have your way in me. So what I encourage us to do, I'm not going to say, you know, hold hands with your wife next to you or whatever it might be. But as you're singing that song, you want to hold hands, that'd be great. But as we're singing that song, um, I surrender, it's a personal thing, but also be thinking, Lord, we surrender our marriage to you again. So it's not just about individual. It, it is for some about individual. But Lord, and maybe your spouse isn't here this morning. And she, you wish he or she was. You can still do it. I surrender. We surrender our marriage to you this morning. Lord, have your way in us. So yes, Lord, have your way in me. But as we're singing it for, for those couples here this morning, Lord, have your, your way in us. Have your way in our marriage. And as we do that, do you know there's a guarantee God will bless your marriage when you invite him in. Thanks, guys.